When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Eyes to the Left. Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirror's political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty and I'm joined today by my colleagues Ben Glaze and Nicola Bartlett. And we're going to be discussing the reshuffle, Prime Minister's questions today and having a look at the political year ahead. So we got underway pretty damn quickly with the reshuffle first week of January and Theresa May built it up, said, we you know, this was going to be a kind of a big change, put new energy into the government. And then it went catastrophically wrong in the first few minutes. <laughs> it was kind of, it was almost in tune with everything else Theresa May has done. She's kind of you know, the worst manifesto in history, the worst conference speech in history, and then a particularly kind of bad reshuffle. Ben, what happened? Why did it, how did it fall apart? Whatever the opposite to my das is, <laughs> that is the touch that Theresa May has in the last few months. Um, you know, the, the relaunch, uh, a reshuffle of her cabinet was meant to set the tone for 2018, forget the woes of 2017, uh, put it all behind her, start the new as she needs to go on. She had this whiteboard up in, um, in number 10 with all the, the names of all the positions she wanted them to go to. And very quickly that started to go wrong. Um, you know, she wanted Jeremy Hunt to move from Department of Health. He made what we can only assume is a very, very strong case to keep his job, which presumably isn't based on evidence of his record at the department. And not only does he get to keep his job, he gets a new title as well. Um, then, of course, Greg Clark, we're told she wanted to move this him out. This is the business secretary, who's section. one of the most toothless kind of anodyne cabinet ministers I've ever come across. I mean, it's quite difficult to stay awake in a conversation with Greg Clark. Well, one thing we were saying in the office is, it, if you're a minister who goes in and you basically threaten the prime minister and you say, don't do this, you know, I will create so much hell for you on the back benches, Greg Clark would not have been the person <laughs> that did that. It would have been far more likely that she looked into his eyes and he put on puppy dogs and just she couldn't do it, you know, like drowning a kitten. She just couldn't bring herself to fire him. So he stays in place as well. You know, the only one who did stand her or she stood her ground and the Prime Minister decided to make a resign was, of course, Justin Greening, who, if you want to make your cabinet more diverse, getting rid of the first lesbian cabinet minister, getting rid of a young, comprehensively school-educated woman from the north, daughter of a steel worker, it's just crazy to do this, and it sends completely the wrong message. Yeah, and it, and it kind of, this was, you know, we haven't even done the kind of the, the shambles right at the beginning with the appointment, Nicola, of Chris Grayling for a whole 27 seconds. <laughs> I think that definitely is a record for yeah. the shortest. Um, um, to be fair to Chris Grayling, during that 27 title. seconds, he didn't make any major mistakes, as he is known failing grayling <laughs> yeah maybe it was his most successful ministerial appointment <laughs> to date yes the, well it, everyone was kind of eagerly awaiting the the first few announcements and um the official conservative twitter account tweeted out a picture of chris grayling congratulating him on being um being made minister for cabinet of for the cabinet office which is the one that um, damien green uh, resigned from um and yes, it's suddenly disappeared after uh, 20 seconds and seconds. Um, and it's not entirely clear what happened. 
but reports suggest that that at some point he was in the running for that post. Um, this is Conservative Party chair. Yeah, yeah and um, and the what happened was that that somebody was a bit too trigger happy on the old social media saw that the BBC were reporting that this was a possibility and uh, and pressed go on, on, on Twitter but um, it just kind of set the tone for the whole the Neatly whole debate, summing really. up the Conservatives problem with social media <laughs> and at the same time for a brief moment the Conservative Party official website went down as well because they hadn't renewed their certificate so and you've got this whole kind of kind of picture of, of, of kind of Kind of almost a kind of carry on film slapstick yeah. taking place, and then when Brandon Lewis, who was the right person, who was finally made uh, Tory party chair, um, was announced, they um, they trumpeted it again on Twitter, but this time they spelt um, they spelt something wrong. He's his minister without the without t- portfolio. See, yeah, is. so they missed out the T, and Swifty had to uh, reissue that one as well. Yeah, and there were some kind of slightly mind-boggling kind of kind of moves amongst the kind of junior ranks as well. The one which jumped out at me was uh, the Tory MP Maria Cal- Cal- Caulfield, a, a, a Christian woman who, who opposed legislation brought in by Labour last year to decriminalise abortion. She gets Tory vice chair for women. That kind of seems slightly odd. You've got uh, uh, Suella Fernandez, the uh, Brexit kind of uh, campaigner who'd organised the uh, revolt on WhatsApp last year. She gets to become a Brexit minister. <laughs> then you've got Dominic Raab, the, who's now a housing minister, who's kind of opposed any development in his own constituency on housing. And the one which I thought was really staggering was Estimate Bay is back uh, as work and promoted to work and pension secretary. Now a little bit of recap on Esther McVeigh. For, you know, she was a junior work and pensions minister where she got nicknamed Esther McVeigh because she was defending the Tory welfare cuts. She helped steer through the bedroom tax. She was responsible for the launch of universal credit. She cut disability payments. And she has a very abrasive manner. Some may find it quite refreshing. She's got a scouser who kind of wears it with pride. But she antagonises people. And, and I thought... If Theresa May is really serious about tackling the burning injustices, as she said on her kind of first speech on Downing Street when taking over a job, and if she's trying to reach out to people and say, look, we are a compassionate Conservative Party, this was a very odd appointment. I'm not sure if you agree. I think it was a, an appointment based more on presentation and policy, which is in keeping with perhaps what the Prime Minister was intending to do to represent you know, a ministerial team that represents the face of modern Britain. S. McVeigh is seen as a decent media performer, of course she's a former television presenter, and she's a woman, she is quite outspoken, she is northern, and of course now she doesn't have the hindrance of representing a marginal seat. When she was of course the MP for the Wirral, she was only there from 2010 to 2015 before she got booted out. Now of course she's got George Osborne's old seat in, uh, in Tatton, so it's one of the safest Tory seats in the country. Um, it, I think it shows that the Prime Minister doesn't really care anymore about the sniping that will come, you know, based on policies, because, you know, Esther McVeigh is forever going to be associated with bedroom tax and cutting welfare. Um, but if the Prime Minister thinks she can send her out onto the 810 Today programme, then maybe she doesn't care so much about that. And I do think the Conservatives think that the bedroom tax is associated and welfare cuts in general more with the Cameron government. So I think it's perhaps a mistake by Prime Minister to bring back the face of those cuts and plonk her into to that department. Yeah. But overall, we saw the problem today, we'll come on to PMQs in a minute, with, with the reshuffle, was that it, it, 
one she kept Jeremy Hunt in his job as health secretary. Uh, Chris Grayling, after his 27 seconds as Tory party chairman, is back at transport with this big issue of the bailout of the East Coast mainline. And, and, you know, she is still vulnerable now to having to defend the record of these two cabinet ministers who are managing very difficult portfolios with a T. Um, and so there was no sense of renewal which came with us. And, and, and the overriding impression, and this was kind of almost unanimity amongst the national papers on this, it wasn't just the Mirror for once which has been critical, was that she looked weak because she'd allowed Jeremy Hunt, she'd allowed Greg Clark to dictate to her that they stay in their jobs. And so and, you know, a prime minister whose kind of authority was already looking a bit rickety came out worse of it, which was not, I think, the intention of a reshuffle. You may disagree, Nicola. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, the, the sheer amount of time that Jeremy Hunt spent in there, um, I think most of us kind of watching it were thinking, you know, is he, is he OK? You know, he's kind of disappeared into number 10. Yeah, but but NHS patients who spent less time on trolleys, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, sadly. I mean, I think... I think that's clearly him arguing and making the case. Um, and she obviously gave in to him. And that just looks so weak and so pathetic. And it, the whole process took so long. It was very lacklustre. She completely failed to do what she wanted to do, which was to kind of steal a march on the political year and set the tone. Um, it was briefed previously as being this kind of, as you said, a chance for renewal a new cabinet that represents the country and she really emphasised um, more women uh, more ethnic minorities and then completely failed to deliver it in the actual cabinet in the junior ranks she meant yes the, but, I but, think but she actually, must have meant the junior ranks and the yeah. problem with that additionally is that if that's the line that you're briefing that there's going to be more women and more ethnic minorities you completely detract from the fact that there are because you're undermining these people's qualifications to be in their jobs. You're saying I've promoted them because I need. I know you don't like the Tory party as it is, and you think it's male, pale, and stale. This is what it really is. But actually, we probably all could have come to that conclusion ourselves just by looking at the new cabinet. What she should have been saying is that these are great people to do their jobs. We don't. There's no overriding narrative about what kind of government she now wants to, to lead. And the Sutton Trust think tank did some pretty quick number crunching. Now there's one BME cabinet minister, Sajid Javid at Communities. The percentage of cabinet ministers educated at private schools risen compared yeah, to her yeah. first government. As a result of that, obviously the number of educated in comprehensive schools has fallen. So it, it's actually looking more male, pale and stale than it was beforehand around the cabinet table, we should stress. And, and the dangerous, as you say, not, not only does it demean those people who are promoted on or should be promoted on merit, but it looks a little bit like window dressing, which is the problem with this, when they've yeah. got these few women attending cabinet, which is not officially sitting around the table, you're invited in. Yeah. I, I think that's the key to it. What you should be doing with a cabinet is certainly the briefing before a reshuffle is under promise mm. so you can over deliver. And this was the complete opposite. They got it completely the wrong way round. Um, and, you know, you've got Philip Davis, you know, obviously a right wing Tory backbencher who was never going to trouble ministerial ranks under any prime minister. Mm -hmm. But he made a point yesterday that, you know, well, it's an exodus of, of white middle class, middle aged men. Um, and if he's able to say, well, this isn't the meritocracy that you promised Prime Minister, though, is it? Because you're just now promoting people because they're ethnic minority or they're women or they're young. If you're only doing that and you're not even getting them into those cabinet posts that the general public see, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're not going to get some of the, the junior ministers 
on the television each night. So in the, in the eyes of the general public, they will see Amber Rudd, Philip Hammond and Boris Johnson. Those are the ones you get on television. They're still in position. So she hasn't regenerated this cabinet at all. So she's created some enemies on the back benches. She's upset the people she didn't promote. Um, and she's triggered accusations that the people she has moved in, she's only done it because of how they look. Yeah, so it's all gone wrong. Yeah, and Justine Greening, who was, you know, as you say, you know, refused to serve as Work and Pension Secretary, so quit as Education Secretary. And, and she was there in the Commons today, in the naughty corner, as they call it, with Anna Soubry, a Remainer, Nikki Morgan, a Remainer, and that little gang of Tories who are causing the Prime Minister trouble over Brexit because of the main views. That, that is the coterie that mm. the Prime Minister really needs to worry about. And Justin Greening, you know, represents what is now a marginal seat in South West mm. London. So that's going to be under massive threat in the general election from Labour. And of course, there's one thing we've got to remember that's specific to Justin Greening. Representing Putney, she's under the flight path into Heathrow. She's always spoken out about the expansion of Heathrow Airport, the third runway. Later this year, there was scheduled to be a vote in the Commons on the third runway at Heathrow. That was a crunch point that was always going to come, and Justin Greening would have been forced to have either supported that as a member of the government or resign on a point of principle. Now, that's hastened her, her departure has been hastened this week, by uh, her refusal to take the job at DWP. But there was going to be that clash. And, you know, she's good for her in standing up for point of principle, going to the back benches, and she's going to be quite happy there to, uh, you know, be a prominent Remainer and vote for what and her constituents voted for. seat, which, yes, very good point, voted 75% for Remain. Mm. Now, I also thought it was interesting, and I use this as a little way of linking the two conversations, that, that, that the Prime Minister, at Prime Minister's questions today, praised the government's achievement in education, saying we'll record results in, in, in Britain, in England's schools, and I thought, well, if they've done so well, why have we just got rid of the education <laughs> Exactly, that's what I was saying. If they're doing so well at their job, why get rid of them? Yeah. But so, it is quite, quite uh, interesting to note that, that a lot of people in the education unions, teachers' unions, were sad to see Justin Greening go, which is unusual for any education secretary, never mind a Tory one. So I, I would guess that Justin Greening's days in government may not be over. She might come back, I would have thought, in the future. Prime Minister's questions, first one of the new year, and, you know, there were kind of expectations that we might kind of raise the kind of level of debate um, did we? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, obviously, Jeremy Corbyn went on the NHS, which uh, he confounded predictions in so much as he went with what was the obvious topic to go that, with. That is true, week, yes. Uh, which has not become his trademark. Um, maybe the Prime Minister was expecting him to uh, go on something else because Jeremy Hunt was sat right at the end of the Treasury bench, on the front bench. So... You would expect, normally, if we all know what the theme, the overarching theme of the week is, you have the cabinet minister responsible for that department, very close to the prime minister, so they can brief on the numbers, the statistics, and give them all the information that she needs to come up to the dispatch box. But in, in what seems another failure of like the, the government being able to get its act together, just be re- doing the basics, that is basic stuff. Um, he was, I think, perhaps six, seven people along, and he was. I, I was looking down, and he was scribbling furiously as um, as Corbyn was asking questions, and you know, trying to trying to get some information, but it just wasn't getting through to the prime minister at all. Yeah, I mean, it it, it was obviously the topic for Corbyn to go on, um, but I I think and 
personally, I don't think he managed to live up to the expectations that we put on him because this is almost such an open goal for the government. But it's a really difficult topic to actually um, make stick because it's basically two people kind of trading statistics. Um, and we've all seen these really distressing photographs of patients having to wait in corridors and the the huge queues of ambulances. But actually, when the two of them stand up there and talk about percentages and numbers, it, it I don't think the blows kind of land as successfully as, as they ought. No, I agree. And actually, I thought for once the most effective question by Jeremy Corbyn was when he, his habit of raising a real-life instance, and he cited a case of somebody called Vicky, whose 82-year-old mother had waited 13 hours on a trolley. And, and Theresa May's response was... was Kind of particularly weak in terms of she said she muttered something oh, I'm very sorry to hear about Vicky we must learn the lessons from this and she said it with kind of all the kind of sincerity of a kind of somebody you know you're stuck on a line waiting to get through and you get a message saying we value your call yeah. you know and it, it felt a bit like that and you could see that she, she was it, when it gets personal it becomes more effective I find and, and that's with the NHS, it, it has to be personal. You yeah. can't just bombard people saying 55,000 operations have been cancelled. Although it's disgraceful, 17,000 people waited half an hour on a, in an ambulance waiting to be put on a trolley. You know, that, those are awful figures, but they don't give a human drama to it, which it needs, I think. Yeah, and I think it also sort of brings out, today, I think it kind of brings out Theresa May's frustration sometimes in that she feels that she's already dealt with this issue. So I went to a hospital, I spoke to She was very doctors. pleased to have gone to hospital. Yeah. She went to Frimley Park. She, she went to Frimley Park, where they haven't had to cancel any operations, actually, unlike, you know, a lot of hospitals in the country. I've been to a hospital. We you have to boast you've been to a hospital. It kind of only reinforces how remote you've become. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she should be going to hospitals to see how the NHS is operating. And she kept saying, it, and she repeated this line again, that they're the best prepared they've ever been for winter. And she can keep saying that, but it doesn't mean anything to someone who's been waiting for hours in an ambulance or, you know, there have been deaths as a result of this crisis. And she just looks like she's being really flippant um, by kind of falling back on on the fact that, you know, the NHS have told her that they've done all this preparation. If the preparation hasn't worked, then you need to respond to, to the reality today, not what you did in the run up to uh, to winter. Yeah, and she was kind of, you know, she she was already on the back foot from the beginning, but she said, I, I've already apologised that we've had to cancel operations. Uh, and then it got worse with the, the, the final response from the Prime Minister. Uh, what happened then? Oh, well, it was so cringe because it had been muted over the weekend that um, Theresa May might, at Prime Minister's questions, throw back to Labour um, some words that uh, the Shadow Education Secretary, Angela Rayner, had used in an interview, which, don't worry, I won't give us the full quote, but it was something or bust, as okay. uh, what happens with Labour's policies. We could say excrement or bust. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was a bit of a tease. Was Theresa May going to say this at the dispatch box because she would be quoting and therefore you might be able to get away with it? I mean, no, she was never actually going to say it at the dispatch box because the Prime Minister just wouldn't because there's a woman <laughs> who thinks running through a field of wheat as a child is a sin, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but she, she was building up to this great finale and it would have been quite funny to throw these words or a formulation of it um, back towards Labour and she said, oh, no, I'm the Shadow Education Secretary. I see she's not in her place. And this is such dangerous territory because you don't know why that person isn't there. And, of course, someone on the Labour bench, on the front bench, shouted back, she's off ill. Um, words to that effect. And, of course, the Prime Minister then, her face fell. She's like, I'm so sorry. 
apologise unreservedly. I didn't realise that. And it was so awkward. You know, you, people, you know, people who are not natural allies of the Prime Minister in the press gallery are like, oh, how has this happened? Just felt, it was just painful. It was cringeworthy. But that's a failure because the whips knew that Angela Rayner wasn't around. They've got to communicate that up to number 10 so that someone says to the Prime Minister, Angela Rayner's not there, just in case she happens to be planning to use this line. Now, we could perhaps blame this on the reshuffle because there was a whole host of new whips um, who maybe, I don't know, were too timid to work it up the, the hierarchy of the Prime Minister. Maybe it's Julian Smith, the new chief whip, not realising that, that was such a massive deal and that's one of his jobs. Someone should have told the Prime Minister because she ended up looking embarrassed, a bit foolish. Um, completely and it, took the wind out of her. Completely kind of... took the wind out of the sails. Um, and when she sat down, actually, and that was the last of Corbyn's six questions, so Theresa May sat down ready for the next question from from a Tory backbencher. She turned to her right to um, to David Liddington, who's a cabinet office minister, and then she turned to her left, Philip Hammond and, and Rudd. She's like, did you, know, did you know this? Did I know, did anyone know this? And everyone was sort of shaking their heads, looking, and it's like, well, someone further down knew this, and it should have been communicated to the prime minister, because number 10, the, the, the operation, so I leave the hanging when something like that happens, and it, it shouldn't happen. Yeah. So, I kind of, I thought I kind of marginally scored it to Jeremy Corbyn. I don't think it was his finest performance, but I think kind of you know the self kind of destruct button of Theresa May kicked in yet again. You know, as you say, it's kind of Midas touch in reverse. There's kind of you know there's there's no nothing which he can you know can go near which doesn't seem to crumble mm. in her hands. Um, Nicola, looking towards the year ahead. Um, we're not expecting a general election, I think, this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. We're not expecting a referendum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll be the first year in four without a major set-piece political event. What can we look forward to? Um, well, we've definitely got the local elections in London coming up, um, which probably won't tell us that much, this to be honest. This is in May. Yeah, so. this is in May, and uh, London is, is uh, predominantly Labour anyway. I mean, it might give some indication in the sort of... Uh, outer donuts where the Tories tend to do better um, but I you know I, I mean we say there won't be a general election I don't <laughs> think we would have predicted one last year well, this so is I'm true. definitely not Politics putting any money so feeble at the moment <laughs> that. that any prediction is, is could be a hostage of fortune things move very quickly in a in a pace I'm not used to in covering politics <laughs> almost 20 years yeah um, so we've got local elections not just in London there are others in some of the other kind of councils around around sure. England and Wales but predominantly in London those are the ones people will be focusing on and, and the other big political event this year of course Ben is oh we're coming through to Brexit we are we cannot avoid um, it yeah I mean race is on now to try and at least strike an interim deal um, and then to, to, to get uh, a deal ready for when Britain goes out of the EU in March 2019 you know the process has got to start by the end of the year of ratification across the various Parliament. This is a really EU. important point, but some people don't realise this. The, the, you know, the actual leaving date is, is March 2019, but because it has to be ratified by the European Parliament, the negotiations have to be wrapped up by October yeah. at the latest this year. So they really are in a race against time. Yeah, and um, so far we've got no confirmation of when talks will resume in Brussels between the EU team and the team from, um, from the Brexit department. Uh, I mean, points to be made time and time again that David Davis doesn't seem to be in any hurry to get on with things uh, to put it kindly but you know nine months is not a long time at all it's you know it's getting on for what is it now it must be it's 19 months since we voted to leave the EU 
Um, so Brexit is going to be the underlying theme, which is why I think Theresa May is actually safe in her position, because Tories, no one's going to challenge her because it's a hospital, well, poison chalice getting job of Prime Minister until at least we're out of the EU. No one's going to challenge her either because they don't want to trigger a general election, which I'm not as convinced as everyone else seems to be that it would usher in a Labour government. I am convinced it would usher in a lot more chaos. I certainly don't think it would provide a Conservative majority government. So I think she's safe, at least until the end of the year. Um, one other thing, that later this week, um, the ballot closes for elections to Labour's National Executive Committee. Now that is key to Jeremy Corbyn's legacy. Um, there are three posts up for grabs. If they're all won by Corbyn Easters, as we are led to believe well, they will be. One of the candidates is, is John, John Lansman, Lansman, the head of Momentum. Yeah. The, the Corbyn yeah. supporting kind of grassroots organisation. Yeah. Um, now, if if he gets, if all three posts go to Corbyn Easters, uh, Jeremy Corbyn gets the majority on the NEC. It's his Labour's ruling the executive. ruling council. Um, they are then able to change the rules of the leadership election. They can lower the threshold, which makes it more likely that a left winger, someone from the hard left, will get onto the ballot paper next time. So remember, Jeremy Corbyn needed 15% of um, of uh, nominations, and he got it with seconds to spare, and he's ended up you know, being, being the leader. If they can lower the threshold, it makes it far more likely that someone from, from his ilk of the party will get on the ballot paper next time, and he, I think, will be happy to leave that as a legacy, pass the baton on to someone from, from his strand of the Labour Party to take it into the future. Yeah. It will change Labour forever. And an interesting aspect of this is the opposition may not actually come from the traditional Labour Party, which is, you know, the kind of the, 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 what we would call new Labour, um, but actually from the unions, because they're worried about a dilution of their power as well. And one of the, 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 the tensions emerging in the Labour Party at the moment is that Jeremy Corbyn's union backers, who are very much with him on policy, apart from on this and on Brexit, where they actually much would want to Labour to get a much more kind of, you know, softer Brexit line, particularly on the customs union. And I think that could come to the fore this year as well. Mm. Um, Nicola, uh, I was going <laughs> to ask you the hospital part of how you, you do you think Jeremy Corbyn is going to reach the peak of his popularity or do you think he's got further to go? I think he's already reached it, actually. Um, I think we've had peak Corbyn, uh, mm. as it were. Um, I think if you if you look at the um, the involvement in various CLPs around the country, uh, this kind of momentum wing has been really overblown. There's been a lot made of some of the fights in uh, in some London uh, areas, especially in in Haringey, which has basically taken a local dispute and uh, people are using that as a proxy for um, momentum versus moderate. But in most of the country, I think. All of the people that have joined the Labour Party, uh, who would ever join the Labour Party, have probably joined it by now. I mean, it's a huge membership. It's the the, the biggest uh, left wing party in Europe. But I think it's actually the biggest single party, single party in, in Europe now, isn't it? But I I don't I think that's saturation point, and the, and there's always been within the Labour Party people who were involved, um, as in they like being a member of the Labour Party and people who actually go out and do mm. stuff. And and Corbyn did amazingly in mobilising people to actually actually go out in the general election. But I don't think there's any more people to do that now. I think, you know, he's got to work at keeping those people on side. 
And actually, that's probably more difficult than it seems because of the issue of Brexit. A lot of young people that joined to support him did not vote for Brexit, do not want us to leave the single market, the customs union. They want to be able to go and work in France if they, if they, you know, if they choose to, or you know, go and study in Spain or whatever it is. Um, and, and also some of the other issues that, that came up um, when, when the manifesto um, was written, it was incredibly popular on the doorstep because it was easy to explain what it stood for. But there's going to be more debates, I think, within the party about how you actually deliver these policies. If, the, if Theresa May is not going anywhere, how do you actually land the blows on the Prime Minister that you need? They were already selecting really early for a lot of key seats. They, they were already on the campaigning foot. So they're doing that element of things right. But there seems to be a bit of a lag when it comes to policy and what, what this, this new Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn actually stands for. We know Labour loved the NHS. You know, that, that's been done to, to death every, uh, every single election. But, um, you know, what else is there? And I, I, think, I think there might be some grumblings against Corbyn, not from the, you know, the people we might expect in the, in, in the next 12 months. I totally agree. I think this is... First of all, I agree on peak Corbyn. I also think this will be the year that Corbyn gets found out because lots of people joined the party, you know, the young activists, and voted in 2017, not realising that he had spent 30 years campaigning against Britain's membership of the EU. You know, seven and a half out of ten enthusiasm, he said, um, for Europe uh, in the run-up to the referendum. You can't fudge this any longer. They could, my father-in-law's got a phrase, um, which I'll paraphrase cleanly, is do your business or get off the pot, right? This can't go on forever, this ambiguity. Labour needs to decide. And, you know, there's, there are moderates within the party who want to stay in the single market, want to stay in the customs union, and can't persuade the leadership to that position and to the benefits of that position, which a lot of Labour supporters want, what they go along with. Corbyn, you know... <laughs> You don't have a sort of damaging conversion to suddenly being a fan of the EU just because you become leader of your party. So he's not spoken about how much he loves the EU or anything like that, but he's happily acquiescing in a hard Tory Brexit. And Labour supporters, they can't let this go on forever. So they, if, if they want to stay in the single market and the customs union, they need to do something about it. And I think that will come to a head, perhaps in the summer and autumn of this year. OK, very quickly, name a politician we should keep an eye out this year. Angela Rayner. Angela Rayner, Labour's Shadow Education Secretary. Yeah. Yeah, good one. Oh, I, I'm probably going to say Justine Greening just because she's now kind of freed up to uh, to say what she wants from the backbenches. Okay, I'm going to be greedy. I'm going to name two. I, I'm going to keep <laughs> an eye on Damien Hines, the new mm. Education Secretary, and um, Gavin Williamson, the Defence Secretary. I think they're both highly ambitious. They're already being looked at as you know possible successors to Theresa May clean pair of hands in terms of and they haven't got much baggage when they came into office they're not associated with Cameron years that much they're not associated with you know mistakes for the last two or three years so I think it'll be quite interesting to watch Damien Hines is well liked amongst the Tories precisely and I think you know he's a kind of more palatable alternative to 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 Gavin Williamson I can see you know those two kind of starting to jostle from position behind the curtain, ready for Theresa May's departure. Could be fascinating. That's my view. I may be totally wrong. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. You can go to the website, which is uh, 
mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes a-y-e-s please subscribe leave a review um, you can follow me on twitter at, at jbt mirror nicola is nicola r bartlett and ben that's ben glaze Speak too soon we'll be having more podcasts throughout the year including a couple of special guests coming up in the next month or so thanks very much